Um, would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 9. We've been preaching through the book of Acts, so we've been reading through the book of Acts. And as a pastor who's been around for a little while, uh, you think that um, you've read through the book of Acts and you have a certain understanding of it and, and yet this time as we've been preaching through it, studying through it, praying through it and reading through it, I've seen things in the book of Acts that has changed my view on certain things, added real depth to my faith and it's really, really challenged me in some areas. And um, over the last eight chapters, it's really given us a foundation to how the early church came into existence. But what is so encouraging to me is that Luke, the writer, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, shares with us some amazing stories. And a strong theme is the person, the work, and the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst his church, but also outside of his church, and how he comes, and time and time again, he exalts the work of Jesus, and um, the activities of Jesus amongst us, and highlights who Jesus is. And we see so again, and we've seen just so many things happening as we read the book. I think God is also, a wonderful benefit for us is that he's raised our level of spirituality as a church. Certainly has done that. And um, we can not only see it, but we can feel it amongst us. And I can't wait for those moments as God speaks to you that we would step into physically obeying some of the stuff that he's saying to us. Like for instance, almost every chapter, um, Luke speaks to us about water baptism after you get saved. And I know that there are three young ladies here from um, the Ukraine. And again, uh, we're setting a date for them to get baptized. Isn't that incredible? You know, and those moments of obedience, and I sat with them last week, and Leah sat with me this morning, and she's, Piet, we gotta talk about it, we gotta set a date, and it was wonderful just how even from some of the youngest people in our band who come in to say, Piet, we've gotta set a date for this. God is awakening faith within our hearts to obey what he says. Oh, great thing, isn't it? Um, the other, just after Christo preached the other day, uh, one of our ladies led someone to Jesus right after Christo preached in the chair there, and that lady was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, they're wonderful. You know, just the things that God does spontaneously, just because he's amongst his people. When truth is shared, what happens is that faith arises within our hearts, and, and God just partners with us, and he does amazing things. Still waiting for some physical healings to take place within our bodies, just as we sit here. But he's doing wonderful things. And today, as we explore the themes that, um, that God is just present and um, that he's taking us on further and, 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 and what he has for us, um, no eye has seen, 
nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for us, the good things. Um, and I believe that he's stirring our hearts into that place. And so as we work through a number of themes, we've come to Acts chapter nine. One of the pivotal chapters within the book of Acts. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think that there is a person who's had a greater impact on the New Testament church than the person that we're gonna be talking today. He's written half of the New Testament. Two thirds of the letters in the New Testament. Um, a character that God used with the Jews, as we have seen in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, but then has accelerated his work through Paul amongst the Gentiles. Many theologians would say that Paul probably was one of the most important theologians in the scriptures as the Holy Spirit just moved upon him and he wrote the epistles, um, the letters. And so um, we're speaking about an amazing man today, but that amazing man was not always amazing. This amazing man, like you and I, also has a past that Jesus covered in his wonderful, wonderful death, burial and resurrection, and said, your past is no longer a part of your life. He came through as a new man in Christ. But he was not a friend of Christ. He was not a friend of the church. As we meet him here now in Acts chapter nine. And so would you follow along with me as we read from verse one? And we're gonna read the first 18 verses of Acts chapter nine, the first 19 verses. And so please, would you follow along? in your Bibles. I'm sure at home that you've got your coffee next to your Bible, and that's fine, but read along with us, please. Verse one says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that is what the Christians were called at that time, people who were in the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind did not eat or drink anything. 
In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. That's a wonderful, wonderful phrase. Don't forget that. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done for your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Listen to this now. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, or Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was, mention that word? And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I want to speak to us about this man whom God transformed from being a sinner to being a saint, from being a blasphemer to becoming a believer. Certainly, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. There's a number of things that I want you to note about this story. First is that this is not a typical conversion. So we need to understand that because oftentimes we feel that our conversion is inferior when we look at the conversion of Saul. The most beautiful thing that you see in the book of Acts and one of the themes that we have followed is that God deals with people so differently. There are times when people got saved, then they got baptized and then they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we see that there are times when people got saved, baptized, and the apostles laid hands on the people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we see at times that people got saved, then they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they got baptized just to mess with our minds and just for you and I to make sure that we don't put our theology in a little box. And then we see here that Saul gets saved and it's not an apostle that lays hands on him and prays for him, but it's a disciple and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. How nice is that? And so we see here that God just, just allows us to realize as we read through the book of Acts that his theology is so much bigger than ours and ours needs to fit into his. And there's a liberating aspect in it and I've so loved 
following along in the scriptures, just to see my theology changing a little bit, adjusting and fitting into his theology. Because, you know, theology is the study of God. It's about him. And so we see that this is exactly what is happening here. Saul's conversion is not typical. There were many things Paul experienced that I didn't, and there were one or two things that I experienced that I don't think he did on the road to Damascus. But the important thing is we both knew Christ. Whether you had a dramatic, a sudden conversion or a gradual, quiet one, the vital thing is this. Are you converted? Are you saved? Are you a follower of Jesus? And that's the principle that you need to look for right here. Have you met Jesus? On the road to Damascus, Saul met Jesus. Left Jerusalem, on his way to Damascus was about between 150 and 180 kilometer journey. He met Jesus on his road to Damascus. It's quite interesting, and I said to Peter as we were talking about it, is that God took Paul outside of Jerusalem territory on his way to Damascus. He felt very comfortable in Jerusalem. And on his way to Damascus, where he didn't feel that comfortable, God appears to him in the form of a great light. And Jesus speaks to him. And he meets Jesus, my friends. Oftentimes, God wants to take us out of our comfortable settings into an uncomfortable setting, a place that we are not known oftentimes, new, and we encountered him. We have seen so many people come from their countries to Switzerland, and I say so many, so many. And because they're in a new place, because they're outside of the normal routine and their activities, and suddenly they hear and there is space for them to meet God. Oftentimes our lifestyle is so busy with other things, our routines, we don't make space to meet God. Saul on his way to Damascus, outside of Jerusalem, on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus. Secondly, this is not a sudden conversion. It may appear to be a sudden conversion. No, you will remember that when Stephen was martyred and Ken spoke upon that passage uh, about uh, three or four weeks ago, Saul was there, proved of the stoning of Stephen. God started working with his heart even then. And even before that, you'll find out that under Gamaliel that we've also read about in the early parts of the book of Acts, he was studying, he was a student under Gamaliel. He probably had heard about Jesus' crucifixion. I don't know if he was there. Some of the scholars I was reading after, they said they're not sure whether he met Jesus there, but he was aware of it. He knew what was happening. And I think even then some things were stirring within the heart of Saul because Saul was so passionate about one thing he thought 
he was right. <laughs> and so often people who hadn't met Jesus, they feel that they are 100% right in what they do. What I love about Paul is whatever he did, he did with all of his heart. Sometimes God gets through to those people quicker than people who are a little bit wishy-washy. They don't know what they want. they neither here nor there. But with Saul, it was a journey until he really met Jesus. So I want you to relax a little bit. For some of you who say, oh, this is so sudden. No. This is not a sudden conversion. God was working on this man. But man, when God appeared to him, there were some suddenlies that happened within his life very, very quickly. You see, Saul was wrestling with God. How many of you know that when you wrestle with God, that the odds are stacked against you? <laughs> the odds were so stacked against Saul that again, it's a matter of time for some that we are praying for, for some that we are trusting God for. You know what, when there's a wrestling going on, um, eventually um, we bow the knee before him. And this is what happens here with Saul. It was not sudden because one of the things that Jesus said, says to him in the other two accounts of his conversion in the book of Acts, he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goats, Saul. Which means that there had been a considerable process of preparation within his mind and heart long before the sudden crisis. When he says you're kicking against the goad, it was very interesting. He said, Paul, you're like an animal whom a driver is driving in a particular direction with a pointed stick which was to goad an animal or to steer him. A plowman would use this from behind to keep an animal straight, if it strayed. And with that stick, it would get him back in line. God was using the stick, and he was saying, he was prodding him, and he says, hey, it's hard to kick against the prodding of the stick. Remember in America when I lived there, they told me the stories of the church of old there that when they met together and the children and the teenagers were a part of the service and they had a man standing at the back there with a long stick. And as the teenagers sat at the back there and when they started to fall asleep in the service, the responsibility of that man was to come and to hold them with the stick. I think I need to have people on four corners here. And this is the kind of idea God was prodding Saul. So God was working. And it was a wonderful thing. And we could look back at our conversions when we met Jesus and we find that long before we thought we met him, he was already there prodding us. And I'm sure that many of you can tell the story of your life. Saul's testimony of conversion is told three times in the Bible. And as the author of, of most of the New Testament, here in Acts chapter 9, um, before, and then again before a Jerusalem crowd in Acts chapter 22, and his testimony before Agrippa and Festus 
in Acts chapter 26. And when we get to that, we'll really speak about Paul's transformation, which is the most amazing passage of Scripture you read in the Word of God. Of course, we know a little bit now who this guy is that we're talking about. First, he was a Jewish uh, man born in a Greek town called Tarsus, far away from Jerusalem. He also was a Roman citizen, which was very rare for a Jewish man. Thirdly, he chose to move to Jerusalem and train as a Pharisee. He was a devout Pharisee and a teacher of the law of Moses. And as we saw when we talked through the book of um, Philippians, that um, he was part of the higher echelon of the Pharisees. He was, even in lineage, he was born into a family of privilege. So Paul kind of had it all laid out for him. And of course, in the book of Philippians, he says, I count all of those things, but rubbish to gain Christ. And it gives us a perspective of when he met Jesus, how his life was transformed. So how did Saul eventually bow the knee before Jesus? And that's the question that I want us to answer within the next 10, 15 minutes. How did he bow the knee before Jesus? You see, Paul was transformed from sinner to saint, from being a blasphemer to becoming a believer, through which I call the power of presence. That's a wonderful principle. And we're going to look at two aspects of the power of presence, but we've got to start with God because all conversions start with God, not with us. We didn't look for him, God sought us out. And so salvation starts with God, reaches out to us, props us, places us in particular positions and places, and something happens within our lives. Oh, when I look at this congregation, I could tell you of some of the conversions here that is just so incredible. But salvation starts with God. It's not your intention to get saved. It is God's. And so I want us to talk about the presence of God. And we see here in Acts chapter 9 verses 3 to 6, it says, As he neared Damascus on this journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he replies, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Well, um, Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and I will, and you will be told what you must do. God presenced himself on the road there. Paul ran into the presence of God. God was waiting for him. So it's almost like Zacchaeus in the tree, if you remember. Zacchaeus was in the tree. And he was looking for Jesus. And as he walked through, he said, hey, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I knew you were going to be there. You know, that's the story. God looks for us way before we look for him. It's his story 
that he invites you to be a part of. Not your story. Saul was out writing his own story. God comes and he says, no, I want you to be a part of my story because my story is a lot bigger than yours. And so the presence of God is what we trust for. And in the book of Acts, all the way from chapter one to the very last chapter, I think it's 29, you'll see the presence of God in a manifest way. Certain things happen. Well, all people are talking to me this morning. And God does amazing things. And uh, so we see here that through the power of presence, but the presence of God, Saul got converted, met Jesus. There is something about the wonderful presence of God that can never be replaced. There's no substitute for it. We try and substitute it with many things. But you know when God is present. Jim, would you come and share with us for a few minutes, please? It was only the presence of God that changed Saul into Paul. It was nothing else but the presence of God. And we can sometimes think that the presence of God is only for salvation, but it's actually for us as believers every day of our lives. We have a lady that comes into Love on a Hanger every single Wednesday for the last two years, and she's not a believer, but she loves being with us. And um, during COVID, she lost her job. So when I was talking to her about it, I said to her, would you mind if Marilei and I pray for you? for you to find another job. And she said she would love that. So we sat over there in the coffee shop and she had just bought a jacket from Love on a Hanger and she was wearing the jacket. And we prayed over her. And as we were praying, she said a piece started to touch her head and go through her body and settle on her feet. And she was so touched by the presence of God that when she went for her interview for another job, she said she made sure she wore the, right, the same jacket. So when she was telling me the story, I said to her, I had to say to her, peace is not found in a jacket. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. When we know Jesus, we get to experience his presence on a daily basis. And I believe us as believers, we need to train ourselves to experience that presence. Otherwise, we will be aware of many other things that are not that important. But we need to train ourselves to recognize his presence. When the presence of God comes, we sense the character of Jesus. So you will feel peace, like this lady did, either peace, joy, patience, self-control, hope, all those things that Jesus is. Love, you will feel when the presence of God comes. But we need to train ourselves to stop and recognize it. And I often, throughout my, my day, if I'm washing the dishes, sometimes I just stop and I recognize the presence of God. Just stop and thank him that he's there and see what happens. Something happens. You start to feel something of the character of Jesus. Sometimes when I'm driving, I just make myself aware of the presence of God. 
if I'm going into a difficult situation, I stop. Just train yourself to recognize the presence of God on a daily basis. Those of you in school, just before an exam, stop. Because I truly do believe that the presence of God is not just for salvation. It's for us as believers every single day. So it's through the power of presence that we see that God works in most amazing way. Firstly, the presence of God. And then secondly, through the presence of others. And, and it's not just the presence of God. How awesome and how amazing it is. We'll see within the story that God uses others like you and I as well. Just when we get to think, well, God is going to do it all. Yes, he's there first. Yes, he does amazing things. But he puts others within our way. And just like with Paul's conversion, he had put others in his way. We read in Acts chapter 7, verses 59 It says here, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. God used Stephen in Saul's life. God will use you in the lives of other people. Sovereignly he chooses and his choice is us. Secondly, in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 12, it says, And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a, minute, uh, in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, or a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. God uses us. And then we see again in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of Saul, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. God used Barnabas in Saul's journey. My friends, when we see people move from being a sinner to becoming a saint, and of course a saint simply means you're a believer. Paul uses that word in the New Testament. The presence of God is vital, but also the presence of others, you and me. Let God speak to us in this coming week. Let him use us in the lives of people. Let's partner with God and see this miraculous work that God does in the lives of others. And I think for this week, we're gonna close right here. 
you'll see that people move from being sinners to saints, from blasphemers to becoming believers, also through the power of prayer and also through the power of proclamation, which we'll look at at a later stage. But I want to ask you today, how are you standing? If you're not a follower of Jesus, what are some of the prods that's taking place within your life? Do you recognize it? It is God. People that God is placing around you that know him, God has placed them around you because he loves you. And friends, those of us who are believers, let's make sure that we step into those opportunities that God gives us. We spoke last week about gossiping about Jesus, gossiping the gospel. God loves to use us in partnership with him. Would you stand, please, with me? As we have faith for those journeys, I was wondering how, just for us to close the service as Philly and the team comes forward. I was wondering how many of you, as I was speaking, were thinking about men and women like Saul or Sally that was on their way to meet Jesus. They left Jerusalem and they're on their way to Damascus. Well, at the moment, I'm praying for some Saul's and I'm praying for some Sally's. And we're trusting God for them. And the way that I would like us to respond to God today is to say, Lord, we trust in your powerful presence within those people. And can I ask you just to maybe visualize within your mind some of those people that you are trusting God for today. And let's trust God for them.